Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Good morning, everyone. I'm really thankful for your presence here uh, this morning. Adam has done such a good job of uh, leading us through the music and the prayers and making it obvious to us it is the beginning of the Advent series, the first weekend uh, of Advent, and what he called the the church calendar. We have a, a calendar at home. It's one of those old school calendars, you know, one of those paper ones. I don't know if anyone has any of those anymore, but this is how we use it. We put it in our pantry, and every January we buy a new one, and we sit down, and we, we take the old calendar, and we transfer all the important dates from the old calendar onto the new calendar, and and, uh, and put, you know, anniversary and put in the parentheses the, the extra year. And that's how we keep track of what's important to us and what we want to remember throughout the year. Well, in the same way, the church has a calendar in order to keep track of what's important and what we want to remember. And so we have things like Lent, which is a season of preparation for Easter. And, and then Easter, and then after Easter is Pentecost. Uh, and then we have this season that we're in now of Advent. Uh, and, and Advent is really uh, a, a time of, of preparing for Christmas. We're told all the time that we should prepare, right? We've been told this year, you better prepare early, right? Buy early, because it's not going to be here in time if you don't. We're used to preparing uh, for Christmas, um, but we're, we're not so used to preparing spiritually for Christmas. And that might be the most important thing. I mean, think about it. If what if, um, instead of focusing on preparing for all the normal stuff, like the tree and the lights and the gifts and the, the food, and all of those things are good, but what if you spent more time actually focusing and preparing spiritually for Christmas? What, what, what would that do? How would that change you if you did that? Um, preparation, right? Advent, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful time as we think about the coming uh, of our Savior. Um, we, Advent means coming or arrival. And really, there are two Advents. There are two comings, two arrivals. There's, there's the first coming of Christ, his first Advent, and there's his second coming, his second Advent. And so we look, as a church, as Christians, we look back to his first coming. We look forward to the second company, his second coming. And you could say... That in, in this way, we live in the inter-Advent time, right? We live between the two comings uh, of Christ. Uh, and so we are, we're thinking uh, in the next four weeks about Christ's Advents, his comings. For four weeks, we're going to uh, be in the book of Isaiah. We're, we're going to be looking at prophecies from the, the prophet Isaiah that, that he gave uh, before the coming, the first advent, before the first coming of Jesus, uh, these prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And the one we're going to look at this morning was written around 733 BC. So think about that, 700 years 
before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words. We are following the traditional themes of Advent this year of hope and peace and joy and love. And this morning, I want to reflect with you a little bit on hope. So if you're willing and able, would you stand? And I'm going to read for us from Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 1, says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. It's one of the most famous Christmas passages, right? Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born and a son is given. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's really uh, well known. In fact, um, several years ago, several Christmases ago, uh, someone made this beautiful wood sign that has a verse from Isaiah 9 that chapter 6, uh, verse 6, and, uh, and we hung it right above the doors over here as you're, as you're coming in. And the sign was so big and uh, so difficult to get up there and so heavy that after Christmas that year, we just left it up there. And it's been up there ever since. So I don't know if you know this, but for years now, as you've been coming into worship each and every week, you walk in the doors under those words. Um, they're, they're famous words, they're well-known words, but the, the situation the background of those words, the historical context is not as well known. And so let me just tell you uh, what was going on at this time that Isaiah wrote these words. You might remember that uh, the nation of Israel was united under King David and under his son Solomon. But after Solomon died, the nation split into two in the north and in the south. You had the nation of Israel now in the north and the nation of Judah in the south. That happened around 931 BC. I told you these words that we read were written around 733 BC. So for about 200 years, what was going on here? For about 200 years, you had this nation split into two. Um, 
the, the northern kingdom had pretty much all bad kings. The southern kingdom had a mixture of good kings and bad kings. Essentially, they were both on a trajectory, a negative trajectory. They both were not headed in a good place. The northern kingdom was just getting there faster. And so uh, you get to the time that Isaiah is writing, and the power, the, the, the uh, power of, of the day, the global power, uh, rising power, were the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were a threat and wanting to, to, to take over uh, the known world. And so Israel in the north and their northern neighbor, Syria, wanted to, uh, they came together and they wanted to get Judah to join them in a coalition to fight the Assyrians. Uh, but Judah and its king Ahaz said, no, thank you. I'm not interested in joining you to fight the Assyrians. And so because of that, Israel and Syria attacked Judah and tried to, uh, to take it over. Uh, and in the process of that taking place, a couple other uh, groups of people join in. And the Edomites, the Philistines, all of them are attacking Judah. And Judah has significant losses. And uh, so... What does Judah do? What does King Ahaz do? He cries for help to the Assyrians. He, he goes to their king, Tiglath-Pileser, and pays tribute to him so that he'll help. Um, and asking the world power for help always comes with strings attached. So think about like today, if there was an Eastern European country being attacked by another Eastern European country, and they appealed to Russia for help, and Russia came and helped them, well, now what? Now they owe Russia, right? Now they're in their debt. Well, that's exactly what happened. The Assyrians come. They sack the uh, capital of Syria, Damascus. They come and they raid the two most northern areas of Israel, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and carry off uh, people back to Assyria as slaves. The, the there's, you know, the devastation of war. And now Judah, even though they've been saved, they're now a vassal kingdom to Assyria. So you have this historical context going on, this, the darkness from war and famine and all of that brings. But not only is, is there physical darkness in the land, but there's spiritual darkness in the land as well. Isaiah earlier in his book uh, references this and, and through many chapters lists essentially the sins of the people at this time. He said they were guilty of superstitions and materialism and alcoholism and idolatry and um, they were guilty of arrogance, lack of good leadership and social disintegration. So this is the picture, right? This is the context into which Isaiah is writing. It's dark, it's bleak, and how is God going to bring hope to his people? That word hope is an interesting word, right? Um, the, the way that we typically use the word hope is, is we say, well, I hope that will happen, by which we mean I wish it will happen, or I desire that it will happen, but I'm not really certain that it will happen. I hope it will. So. For example, we're redoing our laundry room right now, and it's not a very big project, but, but it is for me because I don't know what I'm doing. And so, so we're redoing the laundry room, and we're painting, and we're putting in new cabinets and, and stuff like that. And so we're going through this process. We're just taking a little step at a time. It's, it's taking a while. 
And uh, throughout the process, at times, my wife will ask me, she'll say, do you think this is going to look good? Do you think this is going to turn out? And what I shouldn't say to her is, I hope so, <laughs> right? I hope so. I wish so. I'm not sure. Uh, but if I were to bring in a designer and the designer would say, I have a vision, right? I, I can actually already see it. I have hope that this is going to look good. Well, that would be a lot more comforting, wouldn't it? That's kind of what's happening here with the prophet Isaiah. He is, in a sense, saying to, to, to the people as the, the prophet of God, I, I have a vision. I can see it. I, I, I can, it's, it's almost as if it's already happened. Um, and, and how do we know that? Well, because it's, really, it's interesting. The, the way that he says it, the, the verbs that are used, if you noticed in Isaiah 9, are actually in the past tense. So he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. A great light has shone on them. God, you, you've multiplied the nation. You've increased their joy. The, the prophet Isaiah says, pushes himself into the future and then turns around and looks back and say, it's already done, it's already accomplished, it's that certain um, hope. Uh, so here's why this is important. God's trying to teach his people something about hope. Nietzsche said that, that hope is uh, one of the, the cruelest uh, and evilest things. He, he said, hope is the worst of all evils because it prolongs men's torment. And Nietzsche was right. He was right if hope is just a wish. If hope is just a wish or a desire, then what happens when those wishes and desires don't come true? Well, there's pain and there's anxiety. But the biblical view of hope is different. In the Bible, hope is not just a wish or a desire. Hope is a confident expectation. Hope is a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. Hope, uh, the true hope has weight. True hope engenders trust and, and, and patience. Hope, hope has this, this future orientation to it, right? But, but hope is, has, also has roots in the ground. Um, hope is, is strengthened and sustained by remembering the past faithfulness of God. That's why Isaiah in this passage uses words that remind the people about uh, their deliverance from Egypt through the Exodus, right? He talks about a yoke and a burden on the people's back. That would have reminded them of God's delivering them from Egypt. He also references this thing called the Day of Midian. What is, what is the Day of Midian? Uh, well, you might remember that in uh, the book of Judges, uh, there was a time where the Midianites were uh, uh, oppressing the people of God, and they were essentially ruling the land. And God called a judge named Gideon to lead his people uh, to defeat the Midianites and free them uh, from their rule. And so uh, Gideon is able to gather 32,000 men to fight the Midianites. The Midianites have over 100,000 men soldiers. God says to Gideon, 32,000 men, that's too many, Gideon. You might, just in the off chance that you win, you might actually think that it's because of you and something you did. So what I want you to do is 
tell the men, anyone who's afraid, they're free to go. And so he does that, and 22,000 men leave. Now Gideon has 10,000 men. And God says to Gideon, that's still too many. Still too many. You might still think that it's because of something you did. So I want you to go down to the brook and tell the men to drink water. And any of the men who uh, lap uh, the water like a dog, they pick up the water in their hand and lap it like, set them aside. Uh, and he does that 300 men. And God says, okay, I want you to take 300 men. And uh, he takes uh, torches in clay jars and trumpets, and they encircle the camp of Midian at night. And all at the same time, they break the jars, and the, the light from the torches bursts forth, and they blow the trumpets. And the, the men of Midian are, are thrust into fear and confusion and begin to turn on each other, and they're routed in victory. And God says, it's going to be like that. There's going, to be, there's going to be no chance that you can say that you did it. It was all me. So hope has this, this looking backwards and looking forwards, looking back to what God has done, but also looking forward to what God will do. And what is it in this passage that, that Isaiah says God is going to do? Well, he says that God is going to bring light into their darkness, it says that he's going to make them rejoice like, like you rejoice when there's a great harvest and a great feast. He says that, that, uh, that there's going to be peace in the land and the defeat of their enemies. H how is God going to do that? Well, in verse 4, he, he tells them this is how God's going to do that. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God's going to do it through, through a child. And this child is, it's obvious that this child is no normal child, because the names that he's given infer divinity, that, that he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, he's going to embody divine wisdom, um, he, he's going to be called Mighty God, divine power, right? Um, that, that he's going to be uh, everlasting father, divine, he's going to embody divine care and protection, and the prince of peace, that he will bring divine wholeness, divine uh, shalom. He'll be the ideal ruler, the ideal king. And it's verse seven says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there'll be no end. He'll sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom. He'll establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I told you Isaiah wrote this in 733 BC. In 722 BC, the Assyrians came and finally fully conquered the northern kingdom. In 586 BC, the Babylonians who were the rulers, uh, the powers at the time, came and destroyed Jerusalem and sent Judah into exile. The Davidic monarchy was over. Some eventually returned, they rebuilt, but they were never free again. Eventually the Romans became the world power. And when, when the Old Testament ends, the last words of the Old Testament, start 400 years of silence, four centuries 
of waiting, of wondering, is God going to fulfill his promises? What is he going to do? He, he said in Isaiah 9 that he would do these things, and there's been nothing. Some people began to lose hope. And then one night, in a field, there was a burst of light. Good news, great joy, a child has been born. He is the savior who will bring peace. John said the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. His parents were told to call his name Jesus because he would save his people from the bondage and slavery of their sin and he would sit on his throne, the throne of David, and of his kingdom there would be no end. Light into the darkness. And this child, when he grew up, um, Matthew says when he began his official ministry uh, that he left his place, he left Nazareth where he was, and Matthew says he went to Capernaum in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, the, the, the two places where they first experienced the darkness, now, now received the light, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. You see, God didn't forget his promises. God didn't abandon his people. And he didn't because Isaiah said the zeal of the Lord would do this. The zeal, his zeal, is actually his jealousy. Not jealousy in the negative way that we think of jealousy, but, but in the sense of his ardor, right? His passion, his jealousy for his people to do them good and to be compassionate to them. John said, for God so loved the world. It was his love that that's why he gave his son. Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can. Right? Hate can't drive out hate, only love can. He was thinking of Jesus, the light of the world, the prince of peace, the hope of the nations. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as we begin Advent this year in 2021? Well, it means that we start by being honest, that there's still a lot of darkness. And if we're honest, there's still a lot of darkness. We could, we could take this list from Isaiah and go through it, couldn't we? Superstitions, materialism, sensuality, alcoholism, idolatry, arrogance, lack of good leadership, social disintegration. And you might think, yeah, those are the sins of unbelievers. No, no, those are my sins. Those are your sins. Those are the sins of the church. Darkness. And then there are the things that are out of our control, that threaten to overwhelm us with fear. Things like cancer. Things like a new COVID variant. Things like inflation and social and political upheaval. 
I was watching Charlie Brown Thanksgiving with my family on Thursday. We love the Charlie Brown movies. And uh, Charlie Brown is, um, if anyone knows the Enneagram, Charlie Brown is a six on the Enneagram. It's, it's the most uh, popular number in our country. There are more sixes than any other numbers. And uh, at one point in the movie, Charlie Brown says, I think I'm losing control of the whole world. <laughs> Do you ever feel that way? Ever feel like Charlie Brown? Um, how, do we, how do we find hope? Where do we go for hope? Well, Advent. We look back and we look forward. We, we look back to the manger. We look back to the life of Jesus. We look back to his death and his resurrection and all that he accomplished for us. We remember that we didn't go looking for the light. The light came looking for us. That our zeal brought about condemnation, but his zeal has brought about salvation. That, that he's defeated all of our enemies without any of our assistance. That we join, we, we come onto the battlefield after the victory has already been won and we just plunder the spoils. So we look back, but we also look forward. In the way that Isaiah was for the people of Israel, John, the Apostle John is for us. He too was a prophet, right? He too had a vision. He, God, God gave him a vision. He said, I can see it, right? It's, it's certain. Uh, I, it, Jesus is coming again at the second advent. Christ is coming and one day he's going to make all things new. One day there will be no more darkness. One day there will be just light. So what I'm trying to say is this. Whenever you look around and you're, all you see is uncertainty, look to Christ for hope. Don't put your hope in any politician or policy or country. All governments rise and fall except for his. And don't judge reality based on your present circumstances. Judge reality based on God's promises. Because even in deep darkness, the eye of faith can see the light ahead and be sustained by hope. Let's pray. Jesus, light of the world, prince of peace, hope of the nations, would you meet us this Advent season? Would you help us as we prepare for your coming? Would you help us, Lord, to draw close because you have drawn close to us? Would you give us real hope this year, deep hope, hope that, that actually changes us and gives us patient endurance as we wait for your coming. We worship you. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.